Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned the following may contain names and voices of deceased persons. We found a um, bowerbird nest, and in that bowerbird nest uh, were some knuckles, of human knuckles. Flood time is when people disappear. Come back, come back, we're chilling down there. You're going to get killed. Come back. They didn't come back. There was big mob of lies been said about him, you know. His body was already finished. What do they put on the tree? The body. This is Wrong Skin, an investigation into a suspicious death and a missing person in the Australian outback. I'm Richard Baker, a journalist with the Melbourne Age in Australia. That's it. Oh, just loosen it off, Doug. That'll have to do. I was reading some of my, um, my notes from back then. Paul Espina was the only detective in the western half of the Kimberley. He retired a couple of years ago. He's suntanned, clean-shaven and meticulous. We're on his impeccably maintained boat, the Pablo Cruz in Mandra, two and a half thousand kilometres south of the Kimberley. He soon learnt policing up that way was all about vastness and violence. In the first week that I arrived at Derby, I had the investigation of a skeleton at Luma. In the first three weeks, I had another female die suspiciously in Fitzroy Crossing. I had sexual abuse of a child at Billaluna, which is really the eastern Kimberleys area, just south of Halls Creek. I also had child sexual abuse in my hometown of Derby, where I was based, where I charged the baker and closed the bakery in town. I wasn't very popular for that, I can tell you. There was one other detective in the East Kimberley, at Kununurra, and when he went on holidays, I looked after his patch. So it'd be nothing for me to drive a 1,000 kilometres to interview someone. You told someone in Europe what that's like, they just wouldn't believe you. Last episode, we got to know Richard Milgan and Julie Buck through the memories of their friends and family. We heard about their infatuation with each other and how their relationship was causing angst with some of the senior men in the community. Remember, the 23-year-old Julie was the promised wife of an elder, Jimmy Nerima. But Detective Laspina knew none of this when he went there to ask questions. All he had was a body in the morgue found near Luma. And as for Richard Milgan, he hadn't even been reported missing yet. The one thing Detective Laspina did know was that the Kimberley in 1994 was a volatile place. Uh, There was a lot of violence, uh, especially domestic violence, and females often bore the brunt of that. Violence and sexual abuse against women and children are still big problems. In 2017, Australia's Indigenous Affairs Minister, Nigel Scullion, described domestic violence in the Kimberley as a scourge. And that happened right across the Kimberley, to the, to the point where um, we were just going from one job to the other, basically, with domestic violence. Much of this is fuelled by alcohol and the lingering effects of dispossession. Uh, there was also child abuse was quite rife um, through the Kimberley as well. But for all its troubles, the Kimberley is an enigma. Poverty and despair aren't hard to find. Yet when you're there, if you let yourself go, it's easy to fall under the spell of a land and people who are warm and generous. The day I was packing up my boxes to leave, a, a young woman came into the station with a box of chocolates for me and she said that um, 
I was the only one that believed her in her family that she'd been sexually abused by an uncle and she wanted to come and thank me as I was leaving town. And those sort of things sort of stay with you and, you know, it's hard work there but I think it was probably the most enjoyable part of my 37 year career was the three years in Derby. Detective Laspina told me about the gift of chocolates during another chat we had over the phone. It wasn't always Indigenous communities that were keeping him busy. He had to deal with some pretty ordinary white blokes as well. The person involved in this incident is, is armed and dangerous. Killer Bradley John, John Murdoch is the outback killer. Of murdering British backpacker Peter Falconio near Barrow. Yeah, well, it was back in August in 1995, and uh, Fitzroy Crossing Crocs won the grand final, and uh, the families were all celebrating down by the river there. Bradley Murdoch came along in his vehicle and wanted to cross the crossing, and he went and got his rifle, which was a high-powered 308 rifle with a scope and came back to the shores of the, of the creek and started firing bullets through the vehicles. Just terror went right through everybody. They were running in all directions. Detective Laspina drove the 257 kilometres from Derby to Fitzroy Crossing and found himself in a race against the locals to find Murdoch, who'd gone into hiding. Police were appealing to Murdoch's sense of self-preservation. There was like a vigilante group looking for him as well. And the consequences if they found him wouldn't have been so good, I don't think. Murdoch eventually turned himself in, and Laspina charged him. Murdoch served 15 months in jail. Six years later, Murdoch would kidnap two British backpackers and murder one of them, Peter Falconio. Policing in the Kimberley was never boring. The police was too frightened to go out to Luma because Luma was a very cultural place. Lisa Skinner, Julie Buck's best friend, has mixed memories of her time visiting family in Luma. She'd go there when the mission school in Derby closed for the holidays. The old ways, good and bad, were strong in Luma. Going hunting, fishing, just living off the land and, you know, get sick of eating from table and, like, you know, having knife and fork to hold and out there you can just do anything and just, you know, just live like how the people used to live back then. You can't depend on shop all the time because sometimes you got no money for shop, you'll have to live off the land. However, happiness in Luma seemed to depend on the mood of the men. If there was trouble, things could kick off quickly. Used to be hiding and you got spear and boomerang flying everywhere. It was that bad. Long after Julie's body was found, a police station opened in Luma. A beefed up police presence has smoothed some, but not all of the rough edges in the Kimberley. That's footage uploaded to YouTube in 2016 called Derby City Blood Fights. These are bare-knuckle fights between two men or two women. They attract a big crowd. Fights like these are a way of dealing with a grievance and putting it behind you. It's important to understand these fights aren't free-for-alls. They're based on rules and respect. If someone hits the deck, the other fighter has to walk away and wait for him or her to get up. This was the world that Detective Laspina was trying to navigate. He was responsible for upholding whitefella law, but living among people who had their own ways of dispensing justice. Every skin group had slightly different 
tribal laws. I recall one incident which um, another detective was handling where there'd been a killing and they'd gone in, the police had gone in and got the person who'd done the killing and was asked by the tribal elders to hand that person over so that person could be speared and given back to the detective to take away. Now, can you imagine that uh, with duty of care to your prisoner allowing that to happen? So the my advice to the detective was to get out of there as quick as he could. But they were the sort of um, crossovers between white man's law and Aboriginal law at the time. Um, spearings were still going on and they were quite common. The place where these two worlds meet is fundamental to unlocking the mystery of Julian Richard. Um, at first I thought they ran away, took off to um, escape a long way from, from Luma. Patricia Riley is another of Julie's friends. She's in her 40s and has a kind, soulful face. But it doesn't take too long to realise she's got an inner steel. She's not afraid of anyone. We're talking on the way to Patricia's community, which isn't too far from Luma, just past the Willair Bridge Roadhouse, on the only main road through the Kimberley. As the year went by, um, we started to get suspicious that there must have been something else that must have went wrong. It was the talk of the talk of the whole the Kimberley. And the talk was, amongst the women, that Julie wouldn't leave her only daughter. It was sad that, you know, she left a daughter behind. And we know for a fact that's her only child and she won't just disappear or take off and leave her behind. The best timeline I've been able to piece together is that Julie and Richard were last seen in late January 1994, the height of the wet season. A story emerged that they'd eloped to Darwin, some 1,600 kilometres away, to escape the pressure of being in a wrong skin relationship. But the discovery of a woman's body under a scrubby tree outside Luma on December 8 that same year changed everything. We heard last time how Julie's big brother Graham instinctively knew the bones arriving in the morgue were his sister's. Yeah, like I. It's like supernatural, I suppose. It's and how Lisa knew the body bearing a denim skirt with her name on it was her friend, Julie. The person who I gave my clothes to is Julie Buck. But the police had to make a formal identification. And for that, they needed people to talk. And then my f initial focus, of course, is identifying the skeleton. And um, we found out from the Luma community that there was only two people that were unaccounted for uh, from Luma in those, at that time. And that was a couple that had, they said had run away in early 1994 or late 1993. In so Detective Laspina's quest for answers, he got some Luma locals to show him where Julie's body was discovered. Immediately behind Luma, it's really rugged country. And then it sort of levels out. It's low-lying trees and bushes and, and the natural bush of that area. That area can be a floodplain as well because it's the catchment area, Campbellan catchment area. But it's rugged terrain. It is quite, um, it's quite challenging. In that search, we we found a um, bowerbird nest, and in that bowerbird nest uh, were some knuckles of human knuckles, which we seized and sent down for analysis to Perth. And 
and my recollection was that they were from the skeleton um, of Julie Buck. Detective Laspina made several trips to Luma, where he sat in a circle on the ground and talked to elders, which was the way they preferred. No one was giving much away. Historically, the people of the Kimberley have been treated appallingly by white police. At the time Richard and Julie disappeared, some incidents would have been in the living memory of old people. In 1926, two constables fronted an expedition that led to the Forest River Massacre. About 20 Aboriginals were killed to avenge the murder of a white pastoralist. Another mass killing took place near Mowler Bluff Station in 1916, with varying accounts of how many Aboriginals died. With this legacy, it's no surprise that Detective Laspina was finding it hard going. And if what happened to Julian Richard was in some way related to tribal business, there was little chance a white policeman would be trusted, however good his intentions. The risk of physical harm for spilling the beans on tribal punishment would have been great. You were telling now, leave it up to old people, but you know what's been happening? Senior Luma man Joe Killer remembers Detective Laspina coming out to visit in 1995. He was among those who sat in the circle with him. Also present was another man, who many regarded as the most powerful in the Kimberley at that time. More on him later. Joe remembers some of the old people not wanting to call police at all. There was a view that this was nobody else's business. This was for the old people to sort out. So why, why wouldn't people have wanted to tell the police? Like what? You know, that was, that was law made, you know? You're not allowed to say anything. You are, you're a young bloke, you've got to revert back to the old people. Back at Derby Police Station, Detective Paul Espina was going about formally identifying the remains. The initial investigation to try and um, identify the skeleton was based on d- dental records. We, we went right through dental school, medical records of all the community health centres. The only thing we really managed to find was some x-rays at Derby Regional Hospital. And it was through those x-rays that they identified the female uh, as Julie Buck. And that was consistent with the pathologist's finding that the skeleton was an Aboriginal female that had died in the previous six to 12 months. Lisa, Julie's best friend. And me and her is the same height. And because we had the same belt, thin belt at that time. Um, And... They couldn't, they said um, her wisdom tooth, top and bottom was missing. I said, yeah, we both got a wisdom tooth pulled out same time. Early on during his investigation, a few things became clear to Detective Laspina. We had a skeleton and a missing person at that stage. And a wall of silence. The community was very close-knit. There seemed to be uh, a reluctance to talk about what had happened. It concerned me that these two young people wanted to escape from Luma and there wasn't one person in the community that was willing to help them. Was there some fear of retribution if someone did help them? And that was a concern to me back then. Threadbare details were emerging. We did find out that the female Julie Buck had been promised as a wife to an elder. That was a cultural thing and my understanding was, from what we found out, was that she had rebelled against that relationship. She'd 
befriended Richard Milgen, who was about her own age, maybe a little bit older, and they were intent on leaving the community. And the information we had was that they were they were seen leaving the community and they were walking towards Derby. Now, Luma to Derby is 120 kilometres by road and about 95 kilometres as the crow flies, so it's a long way. Come back, we're telling them, you know, you're probably going to get killed. Come back. They didn't come back. That's Lucy Marshall, one of the Kimberley's grandest old ladies, recalling how she watched Richard and Julie rushing by before they disappeared for good. Lucy's now in her 80s and ranks as the most senior nigginer woman around. While she suffers from dementia, Lucy's able to recall places, names and events with clarity. Her son Harold and a family friend sat in on our interview. She sits out the front of her house in a white plastic chair in the red dirt under the shade of a neem tree and hails the passers-by. She knows everybody. Come back here, you. That's his other brother, see him there? Those two, they they grew up here. A good example of her recall is the day in 2015 when she was made an Order of Australia for her community service. Lucy was recognised for raising more than 50 Indigenous and white kids and for getting justice for the young Aboriginal men, her own son included, who lost their lives far too early to the chemical Agent Orange. It was used as part of a government-run weed control program in the 70s and 80s. Where did you go to receive the medal? Do you remember who presented it to you? Yeah, in the, what do you call it? Government house. Government House in Perth. Oh, yes. How did you feel that day? I was so happy. Just before Richard and Julie went missing, Lucy could sense trouble. Her cry for them to come back was an attempt to keep the couple out of danger. So you were trying to help the young people keep what they were doing a secret so people wouldn't find out and get mad? Yes. Yeah. And she also remembers it was young boys who found Julie's body while looking for cockleberries. They've been looking for Kungaburi, you know. There's a big Kungaburi in that country. But when Detective Laspina came to Luma to talk to senior people, Lucy wasn't allowed in the circle. That was men's business. Do you remember the police coming out to Luma and sitting sitting around with some of the old people to try and find out what happened back no, in the No, they didn't sing out to me. That you didn't get it? No, because that's in the law ground, I can't go. Okay. Yeah. So it was the men? That's for the men. Yeah. In 1998, Detective Laspina left the Kimberley none the wiser as to what happened to Julie. Her remains had been exposed to the harsh seasons. This gave the pathologist very little to work with. The autopsy gave no cause of death. A brief 1997 report by Broome Coroner C.D. Roberts recorded an open finding. The WA State Coroner, Ross Fogliani, denied our request for a copy. But at the time, Detective Laspina didn't have much to go on as to why Julie died and what happened and, to Richard? Uh, there were suspicions, and no evidence, unfortunately. There were suspicions that there was some sort of foul play because of tribal law. It's not uncommon for people to perish in the bush, especially in what would have been the wet season. Um, and you've got the risk of snake bite, but you've also got the risk of dehydration and, and, and um, perishing from natural causes. 
We did a, a major foot search through that area. We started where the skeleton had been found and we spread out from there. It was fairly evident that there'd been some flooding through the area during the wet, uh, which also um, made it difficult. If, two things, easy to get rid of a body, but also difficult to find a body. Now, there's been no trace of Richard Milgan since early 1994. There are a few unconfirmed sightings of him in WA and the Northern Territory, but they turned out to be red herrings. His mum, Annie Milgan, reported him missing in February 1995, soon after Julie's remains were found. Proof-of-life checks on his unemployment benefits, bank account and Medicare records show no activity since the last time he and Julie were seen alive. Just before this episode was ready to go out, I got a second photograph of Julie. She's older in this one, maybe in her late teens or even 20. This is the first time I'd seen her as an adult. Julie's wearing a black T-shirt and blue jeans and leaning on the back of a blue station wagon. Hands on hips, she's smiling. She's got attitude. A serial killer is prowling the streets of Perth. After the disappearance of three women from the same Perth night spot, police are now certain they're looking for a methodical killer stalking young women. Not too long after Julie's body was found near Luma, 18-year-old Sarah Spears disappeared after a night out in the fashionable suburb of Claremont in Perth, the capital city of Western Australia. She disappeared from outside Club Bay View. She hasn't been seen since. Five months later, 23-year-old Jane Rimmer went missing in the same suburb. Jane Rimmer, a 23-year-old childcare worker, vanished from the Continental Hotel. And then, in March 1997, 27-year-old Kira Glennon went missing from Claremont. She became the latest victim of an evil serial killer. It's no point trying to step away from that obvious likelihood that there is a person of that type in the city of Perth. Her body was found three weeks later, and so began one of Australia's most intensive and lengthy murder investigations. Police have made a major breakthrough in their investigation into the decades-old Claremont serial killer cold case. Punch Claremont serial killings into Google and you get 184,000 hits. When I started looking at this story and typed Julie Buck death into Google, I got nothing, not one hit. Julie and the Claremont women all died in suspicious circumstances, in the same state and around the same time. I'm not saying the Claremont killings didn't deserve the attention they got. Of course they did. But it makes me sad that there's nothing on the record to tell us Julie Buck existed and was loved. Okay, so I'll just uh, put that one down there running as well. Just if you just say your name and and your position, and then we'll we'll go. All right, so Quinton Flatman, officer in charge of the Cold Case Homicide Squad. I'm with Detective Flatman in an interview room at police headquarters in Perth. So for us, a cold case homicide is, is something that it has to be over two years in age. Um, it has to have gone through the homicide squad and every investigative action has to have been done uh, before it even comes to our office. When it does so, um, we take those files and they remain with us. They never, ever close. So while... The macro task force that laid charges over the Claremont serial killings in 2016 and earlier this year sat within Detective Flatman's area, but worked as a self-contained, dedicated team. Now, not many people know this, but over the past two years, Detective Flatman has sent members of his squad to Luma 
to ask about Richard and Julie. Their cases have been reopened. So Western Australia is the biggest policing district in the world. Well, there's 10 unsolved homicides or long-term missing persons in the Kimberley. And this Luma one formed part of that um, body of work that we needed to do. Detective Flatman just said his crew has 10 cold cases in the Kimberley, which has only 40,000 people in it. To put that in perspective, there's about 70 cold cases for the rest of Western Australia, which has a population of 2.5 million. For Broome local, Loretta bin Omar, unsolved disappearances are not unheard of in the Kimberley. Flood time is when people disappear. There's a lot of killings that go on and people are not being um, brought to account for. Like Detective Paul Laspina, Quinton Flatman spent some of his early policing years in the Kimberley. He feels great affection for the place and its people. To this day, I still get phone calls from people in remote areas who just want to have a chat and see how I'm going and ask about my child and how they're going and what they're up to. So, you know, that um, always makes me really happy because you know you've done it right if that sort of business is still going on. The cold case team is preparing a fresh report for the coroner in regards to Richard and Julie. Detective Flatman can't go into detail about his team's new investigation, but he did confirm one thing. So with this particular one, just the circumstances of um, the initial disappearance of both um, Julie and Richard are indicating to us that they are connected and we're treating it as such. Up in the Kimberley, I've been told there have been sightings of Richard Milgan over the years, but not in a good way. When the dripping come down, they find all around. Lucy uses her finger to draw in the dirt. One, one, two... Three, four. Depicting blood dripping from a body being strung up in a tree. Is it the blood dripping? Yes. That's where they put it on a tree to know when the dripping going down to the ground. She's talking about a traditional practice and thinks this is what might have happened to Richard. What do they put on the tree? The, the body. body. Lucy's not the only person to tell me a story about someone, possibly Richard being put up a tree to decompose and later have their bones taken away and hidden in the hills. When we were driving out of Luma one night, a young woman flagged us down and asked if we were the people investigating Julie and Richard. She took us to meet an older relative and he told the same story as Lucy but didn't want to be recorded. This story keeps coming up in different ways from different people. Julie's friend Lisa's heard it too. He reckon he stumbled across um, stake. They hung a person up on this pole, it's like crucify him. She heard this from a senior Luma man just before he died. I don't have permission to reveal the old man's identity but there's no doubt he was in a position which afforded him knowledge and access to the land where Richard's body was supposedly seen, a place called Honeymoon Springs. He dropped everything and he ran back and he told everybody about it. And then they went back there, but they didn't go back to the next day. They went back there, there was no, not even a trace, not even his bag was there. I reckon they haven't moved. Joe Killer believes the talk of Richard being seen alive and well after he disappeared was bullshit. Blaming the thing, oh, we seen him over that way in Wall Street and Big Mama's story, you know. 
Next time on Wrong Skin. The middle of the night came banging my door. And I opened the door and I said, Hey, well, what? Where is she? And I'm like, Who's who? Oh, where, Julie? Where you hide her? Men who have been corrupted by power. That seems to create within them a dark side, but gives them power, gives them privilege, gives them the ability to manipulate and destroy. You know, like he, he had those people pretty much where he wanted them. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review Wrong Skin on iTunes. And if you know more about this story, email Richard Baker. Baker at fairfaxmedia.com.au Wrong Skin is investigated and presented by Richard Baker and produced by Rachel Dexter and Tim Young. The executive producer is Greg Muller, Tom McKendrick is head of video and audio, and Dr Siobhan McHugh is consulting producer.